Welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short, controlled bursts. I'm John Ingle. And I'm Pete Thury Taylor. And today, we're talking about Minute 52 of Aliens. Minute 52 begins with a nodding newt, and it ends with Bishop saying, Magnificent, isn't it? And we are, it's just me and you today, yeah. Pete. Yeah, sorry, I know, I think Ella had planned on coming back, but she couldn't make it, so. Yeah, uh, scheduling, you know, it's tough. Don't always have time for these. Uh, we we somehow always have the time to do hundreds of minutes of podcasting. We're dedicated. And, uh, yeah. Sane people, they don't have that. They don't no, have all that time. They let life get in the way. Yeah. Well, we can just carry on without Ella. Thank you, Ella, for coming on, though, from from here on Alien Minute. Yeah, thanks. As the temporary interim uh, co-host, I, I also thank you from Alien Minute. All right. Well, um, so we're right in the middle. We're still, we still have Ripley and Newt bonding over i guess what you would say bind, bonding over survival empathy or something you know they're they're reaching out to each other ripley is reaching out to newt and not getting anything back quite yet actually is what i should say yeah she's and, almost starting to open up but not really she's let you know let one initial layer open just a tiny bit yeah and um, I talked on and on yesterday about the sort of cinematographical, to use way too long of a word, um, embracing of Newt that uh, Cameron was uh, and Adrian Biddle were using with the um, composition of the shot and kind of having Newt be hugged inside the frame and sort of granting her that empathy, you know, or, or passing, uh, asking the audience to have that empathy through a visual motif. Right. And now we get. Ripley literally embracing her with her hand. We actually have uh, Ripley reach out and touch Newt, which I think is kind of a big step. I would imagine for Newt, it's a big step to let anyone touch her. And she she allows it uh, without even a flinch. Yeah, yeah. She seems to kind of, you know, instantly at least parse Ripley as as non-threat, at least, you know, to, to a certain level. Um, and, it, you know, it could just be, uh, you know, we, we, we talked a lot about the, kind of the hint of that kind of maternal aspect, you know, but, sure. uh, or, or it could just be, you know, that, that she does recognize that there's something, you know, something shared between the two of them, even if it hasn't really come up yet um, explicitly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a nice natural bonding moment um, that we're getting overall with, uh, with this relationship building. And it could have been so much more clumsily handled. I think, it, I think there's a lot to say about the writing I think there's a lot to say about the performances, um, a lot to say about the cinematography, as I did say a lot about that yesterday. Uh, I think that we got a really nicely put together scene here for what I what I consider to be the central. I think I think it's clearly the central relationship of the film, uh, considering that the poster was the two of them <laughs> together. Yeah. So I guess you would say that's safe to say. But um, it, it's a beautiful thing. It's it's really nice to see. It, it's not a and of course it's an unconventional relationship, right? Like how often are you watching an action film, a sci-fi action film, um, where the where the central relationship is a person and a child? I mean, I'm I'm saying that <laughs> kind of thinking of it in the moment, and now worried that maybe I'm forgetting something really obvious. But um, here we have a, a movie built around a somewhat familial relationship, a somewhat um, I mean, I guess maternal. There's just so many ways to look at it. I think it makes it a nice, rich moment here, and a nice. It enriches the movie greatly, and, I, and I'll probably go on to say a lot more about that um, for the next few minutes. But uh, it's it's a great scene. 
Yeah, yeah, and I, I you know, far be it for me to be the guy who always brings it back to uh, Star Wars, but uh, you know, compare this with, let's say, another time where they were trying to do relationship between a kind of a, you know an older hero and and a kid, let's say, in Phantom Menace, you know, where where there was there's those moments of Qui Gon, and granted, it's not as it's not the same kind of setup. But like you never really feel that same um, kind of connection between the two characters uh, in a way that uh, that I think they were trying to play a little bit in there. Yeah, but. of course they should have been probably working on uh, Anakin and Obi Wan more than o- Qui Gon and Anakin. I mean, not to get off on Star Wars too much, but you would think that um, let's just have fun and envision a scene like this between Obi Wan and young Anakin. Right, so. and uh, having that kind of a bond form, a, a strong bond form in the way that this scene works, would have made those prequels work so much better. And uh, you know, there was just a lot of mistakes made there. I think and cho- a lot of bad choices as far as uh, who Anakin should bond with, and then how they went about trying to sort of fix that in the next movie in Attack of the Clones and in the infamous elevator scene where they're trying tried to create that bond uh, this would have been a good one for lucas to look at and say you know right. uh, later I'm, I'm later i'm going to be looking back at a uh, uh past relationship you know or, or i should say earlier i looked back at a past relationship now i'm trying to tell the story of that past relationship maybe the relationship should be what i'm uh, building as the central relationship of these movies which they were supposed to be anyway we're talking about star wars an awful lot yeah, but I do that. <laughs> i'm trying to steer it back into why I guess I'm making a comparison just as you did uh, that this is the way you do it. This would have worked a lot better had they done something, had Lucas done something like this, but right. Um, the scene here takes a, takes a sharp turn though. We have this nice gentle sort of bonding moment, but we have to remember now, you know, it was last week that this uh, conversation began uh, that this moment began between the two of them. And it was initially an inquisition from Gorman to find out what what's going on, where's everybody, uh, where's all the other citizens of Hadley's Hope, and Ripley realizes that she still does need to get that information. So now that she's created the bond, she's able to reach out and touch Newt. She asks her that question, and we get a very brusque response that everybody's dead, and it's um, I guess we kind of knew that, right? But it's still shocking coming. I think what what gives it the impact is that it's coming out of this child's mouth, and it's somewhat matter of fact. I mean, she's. It's not a matter of fact. It's not, she's not being lackadaisical in saying it, but it's like it's a given fact. I've dealt with it. They're dead, okay? And can I go back to the place where I felt safe, which means that that little, that little nest that she was in is, is her status quo now, and she wants to get back to it. And all that's pretty disturbing when you think about it. Yeah, I mean, uh, and again, it's you know the differences between the um, director's cut and the theatrical. That if you if you're watching the director's cut, you you have more of an inkling of that. I think that they're all dead. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like the, just the way that she approaches it was also like a little, you know, she almost sounds like a, like a teenager, you know, like a, like kind of a bratty teenager, like they're dead. All right. Can I go now? But it's like, it, it's, it's this kind of, you know, assumed forced maturity of just having, you know, witnessed everybody's dead and I have to survive on my own that it, it, it works because of that. You know, it is, she's being a little more mature than she, should be because she had to be yeah in this case although i i will say that this is a um this is a bad uh all-purpose aliens quote because not everybody 
is super familiar with, you know, a lot of people are, a lot of people in my circles are, but let's say, you know, at work or something like that, not everybody might be 100% familiar with aliens. And then, so if you're just talking about, you know, like, it's like, oh, hey, um, you know, where did that stack of papers go? Like, they're dead, all right? Can I go now? And everybody's right. confused. And <laughs> had it happen more than once, if somebody didn't know what I was talking about, then you have to kind of backpedal and be like, you know, aliens, the movie, the, okay. Oh, you actually tried to explain it? I, I don't do that. Well, I, often. I try not to, but it, it just happens sometimes. Okay. Or you just feel it's too uncomfortable in the room, and you're like, okay, look, I'm not crazy. <laughs> There's an actual source for this reference. Right. I, uh, you know, I work in a restaurant, and I make, I, I'm the oldest guy that works in the restaurant, you know, so I make a lot of comments and um, uh, references that people don't get, and I just let it lay there. They already think I'm weird, so it doesn't really matter. Some of them get the stuff too, but yeah. Um, anyway, I did want to make a point that this uh, this moment that we've ta- that we're talking about, where uh, Newt is, you know, expressing that her family's dead, everybody's dead, she wants to go. It's uh, punctuated again in the composition by. Ripley backing out or either I guess I'm thinking of it as Ripley backing out but it's more they cut to a close shot of Newt again and she's alone in the frame again and I think that that's uh, that's a nice moment too it's a nice cut because we're getting that visual representation of what she's saying again and it kind of leaves you cold it's like there's no here we are with a lonely child she was just being embraced by a her protector her uh, caretaker and now she's alone again and actually that's what she wants which gives it an interesting twist yeah. Ripley, of course, gives her obligatory response to that, which, which is that, um, you know, wouldn't I think you'd be safer with these guys, you know, these Marines, sort of what she was told when she was recruited for this mission was, you know, these guys will protect you. And she kind of repeats that back. I don't know how much Ripley actually believes that when she tells Newt that. I guess she believes it's better than nothing. But I think as the audience, we kind of know, we kind of believe what Newt says, I think, right? Already. Yeah. I mean, we, we kind of know that she's right because we've seen, I mean, uh, you know, not to the same scale that we're going to see it, but, you know, we've seen the, the alien creature before. And, and you know, I think you, it does kind of sink into Ripley a little bit there, you know, when, when Newt's saying, like, you know, it doesn't matter, it won't matter, or it doesn't matter, it won't matter. It won't make any difference. It won't make any difference. There you go. I knew I was like, it doesn't feel right in my mouth. Won't make any yeah. difference that you know it, it does kind of sink into Ripley a little bit, like not just like oh wow this, you know this girl seems some stuff, but like oh yeah I've also seen stuff like this and she's right, you know it does kind of sink. Um, you know I'm sure she's hoping that she's not right, but I think you know there's that that kind of knowing pause. And it calls calls back a little bit to what she said in the uh, inquest when she said you know well there was a all of these eggs that Kane saw and if they get loose. You know, there's nothing that's going to be able to be done, you know, about it. And I think that, you know, she's trying to play ball. Ripley's trying to play ball with the plan. She's trying to follow the Marines into this and and sort of see them as some sort of protection for them, for her, and now for Newt. But deep down she knows it's probably not going to make a difference. And then Newt, you know, out of the mouth of a child, speaks the truth to her. And I think it probably chills her to the bone. And I think we get that. Uh, another nice cut, um, uh, another nice moment here with James Horner. Mm-hmm. As soon as we get Ripley's reaction to Newt saying this, Horner drops in. I mean, maybe it's even right before the cut. Horner drops in with this very eerie music cue. And then we get Ripley's reaction. And then we cut to a dissected face hugger. You know, so we get 
we get a child saying, uh, we're all, we're all going to die. It's not going to make any difference. We get Ripley realizing it. We get this eerie music and then we get gore like filling right. the frame. <laughs> so it's a nice little piece of, uh, a bit of horror filmmaking still. I mean, we're getting yeah. bits and pieces of that here and there. We'll get some more later, and it's, uh, but it's not just gory. It's not just kind of like gross. It's also like, well, this is how it all starts with, so with that ominous music and like, here's facehugger here's what you know you've seen this before it's like you know that we're going down the same path in a sense right because when we saw the um dissected facehugger in alien nothing had happened yet right other than it had fallen off of kane right and you know scared the shit out of ripley falling <laughs> off the ceiling and then we get that you know we're still in sci-fi movie mode for the most part and we're getting sort of science officer talk and we're getting all this you know power play with Ripley and Dallas and it's not a horror movie yet. And the, and here we're kind of implicated, I guess you could say James Cameron is sort of using what we've already seen to foreshadow the horror movie we're going to get here in the next few minutes. Yeah. So it's a nice bit. And and then we get more of that. Of course, as the minute continues, Bishop does his part to feed into that as well. Yeah. Yeah. He's acting exceptionally creepy, but in a, in a, in a kind of perfect way that, you know, a, a purely data-driven, and not to, no pun intended with data, but in a purely data-driven kind of android way, he, it is fascinating. It is he's he is magnificent to him. You know, he's he's totally into into what he's what he's finding, but just the way that it the way that it's set up, it comes off as kind of like, oh, all right, we've seen this before. That the you know, the, the uh, again, it's it's totally playing on it. Excellent kind of turning your expectations a little bit based on what you've, what you've seen, assuming you've seen alien. Yeah. The, the last time we saw an Android dissecting a face hugger and admiring it so much, he tried to kill someone with a porno mag, you know, like we, <laughs> right. we don't know what to expect from him. And I, and definitely, uh, Lance Hendrickson, James Cameron, everyone involved in this is playing that up there. It's really kind of, uh, knowing what you know about Bishop it's a it's slightly comedic almost it even gets to the point where you're like oh my god they're really playing up this spooky <laughs> android yeah. here but it's great i mean it needed it to happen like yeah. a crash of lightning and stuff and <laughs> right <laughs> like lit from below so that the shadows of the face you know sh- right. yeah but you know that's perfect that's what we needed here we're in such fam- we're in familiar territory so to speak like we we we're in a sequel, so we're in familiar territory. Right. We know somewhat what's going to come. I mean, the movie's called Aliens. We know there's going to be more aliens. We probably need to be you know, misled into thinking that there's going to be other problems that aren't. I mean, we, we need some red herrings, I think, just, just to keep us on our toes or keep us off balance, maybe is the better way to put it. Right. And, you know, that's what uh, we had this dual monster situation in Alien with the actual monster and then the android as monster, technology as monster. And we're being led to believe here in this moment, and this, especially in this close-up where he turns around to Spunkmeyer and <laughs> stares at him eerily. And uh, I think that we're definitely supposed to believe, oh, we're going to get this. Bishop's going to, Ripley's right. This guy, they're all the same. You know, we're, we're kind of prejudiced against androids like Ripley is now. So he's playing up on those prejudices only to find out, you know, obviously he, that's not the case with him. And, technology is not a monster in this movie as much as it is a failure, you know, that it's not enough. So it's still, there's still multiple themes playing here, but uh, Cameron, I think very shrewdly is misdirecting us with this one. Yeah. Yeah. It's well done. 
uh, both if you have and if you haven't seen the alien because um, if you haven't then you're you're still getting a vibe a creepy vibe off him and if you have then you're getting like oh uh, like a double like an extra layer of, of creepy vibe because you know what what ash did and well since this is my first bishop uh minute uh did you guys talk about the the android progression at all i i, I i'm a little behind so i don't know if have you, have you discussed i think as far as i know they ruined it with uh with Alien Covenant, but uh, as far as I know, they ruined a lot of things with the Alien Covenant. But the uh, the the alphabetical progression of androids. No, we haven't. I don't believe so. I know that we talked a little bit about the progression of Bishop and where he came from when when Joe Dater was on. Um, but I don't I don't know about this alphabetical thing. Now I feel like I'm supposed to. <laughs> but, no, it's it just I don't I don't know that it's a thing. I just I I thought of it. I discovered it myself independently a, a while back, and um, it, it's A B C D, Ash Bishop Call David. Oh, like each android that you see is just alphabetically the next one. Up until I didn't think about that either. What's the What's the other um, Fossbender in Covenant. What's his name? I, I, I looked it up that. when that came out, I think. And the fact uh, that it, it didn't start with E, I was just like, oh. It's not Edward. It should be Edward. It should be Edward. Like that. That's perfect. Eddie. And that doesn't take into account any androids that may have been in the the Predator, Aliens versus Predator stuff. I don't I don't know. But but I love the that kind of, you know, uh, patterning of, you know, okay, A, B, C, D. And it seems that each one kind of has a little bit like you're you're adding to this kind of like what you know about androids in this universe. And I and I have heard that you're a big fan of the alphabet, so it I, I makes am. sense. It makes sense that you would be into this idea, or just be the one that discovered this idea. I'm That's so funny. I'm sure it's out there somewhere. Star Wars and the alphabet. That's just. <laughs> That's fine. I had you on for a reason. That's what yeah, I, I wanted an excuse to talk about Star Wars, and you know, <laughs> expect you to bring any kind of alphabet information into the conversation right. <laughs> all right well i that's all i've got you got anything else um i i not really i was just also kind of pleased to see um spunk because he's the one i always i always remember his name but i always forget what he looks like and that this is a good kind of this is his his main kind of facetime minute yeah this well this is the you get a little bit of him at the at the commissary or whatever Right. Here and then, of course, he has the big moment where he. It always stuck in my head since the first time I saw uh, Aliens was that he sticks his hand in the goo, you know, uh, mm-hmm. right before him and but right before the the drop ship goes down. Right. So I always because I remember that gooey substance really sticking out to me, having never seen Alien, and I was like, wait, what's? <laughs> they just leave a trail of goo around? <laughs> like, what's going on? I, but I also it just telegraphs to you. This isn't good. This is not right. going to turn out okay. But. He's got a little bit like he's got kind of a three beat thing, uh, which is good. Always character. I, I feel like if, if a character's got a name, they should have three beats to yeah. them, even if they're very small. And he's got them. I think teach. There's a couple of failings in that, but you know, we talk about that a little bit another time. But yeah, the, I, I think Dietrich gets. I think Dietrich gets the three beat treatment. Yeah, I think everybody does. I never, I never really thought about that until right now, but. It's yeah, always I mean, good. That's... Give everybody three acts to their story, even if they're almost not even relevant to the story. Just give them something. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's part of what makes this movie so uh, enjoyable and, and quotable and all that stuff is that it's, you know, all those 
this ensemble of of you know what could just be faceless grunts is each one has a personality and and yep, i think just giving them their beats uh, it, it serves to that so well done filmmaking yeah. yeah i mean yeah good all around with yeah. with this kind of an it's not exactly what you would call an ensemble but the fact right. that you're going to populate your movie with this many people it's very hard to give them moments sometimes, you know, to give everybody little moments and actually flesh them out. And, and, and you know, when you're going to have this much death in a movie, mm-hmm. you're going to have to do that to make that count a little bit. You don't want it to be a complete throwaway, even though there is a couple of those, uh, that the, they just never quite got around to a couple of Marines here, right. uh, that, that end up dying. But, but you know, it's okay. It's not as if that's a disappointment exactly, but it's nice to get the bigger moments and have some of the action set pieces, mean a little bit more uh later because right. oh, i kind of liked that guy you know i kind of like pharaoh she's she's really cool yeah, um definitely. it's too bad she's had to go out like that but <laughs> anyway all right well if you don't have anything else you want to let everybody know where they can find you online well uh mainly you can follow me on twitter i'm at pete the retailer um and uh starwarsminute.com is my main my main haunt my main hangout we're on uh, a little bit of a season hiatus right now we'll be back by the fall with a with a whole new season um and it's kind of like this except for star wars it's yeah um it's a it's a lot different but a lot the same so i think that can be said about a lot of the shows if you go to moviesbyminutes.com check out some of the shows you can see there's a lot of different approaches to this format which is nice it's a it's kind of a, a a blank canvas of sorts with with a fairly strict format but a lot of people can bring their own personalities and ideas and takes on film to it, so it's great. It's kind of like kind of like the Colonial Marines. They're they're all there. They're all basically the same, you know, cut from the same cloth, but they all have little different personality quirks yeah. that make them make them compelling. All right. Well, uh, you can find us at AlienMinute.com on Twitter at AlienMinutePod on Instagram at AlienMinutePodcast. Uh, come over to our T Public page, grab some T-shirts. I'm sure they're on sale right now since they're almost always on sale. It seems. But, uh, yeah, just come over there, check out, get some stickers, mugs, whatever. It'd be cool if you did. All right. Well, that's going to do it for Minute 52. We'll see you tomorrow for Minute 53.